Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your singing. If you're new, let me remind you that our worship gathering is not a performance. So, Tom, sometimes if you like slick and perfectly orchestrated, we're going to fail you. Pastor Jamie just reminded me that my microphone was not on. So if there's something that you missed, is there anything I need to repeat? We're gathering. You're about to hear a sermon from the book of Exodus. And we need God's help and presence to worship. Also, I was remiss. I was given two announcements right before the service. So like a church family, let's, let me give these to you before I forget yet again. Number one, there's an issue with a gutter between this building and the uh, education building behind us. And so you'll notice you can't really go through there. Uh, the sidewalk that goes between the buildings. Our deacons wisely have said, hey, no access because they don't want anyone to get hurt by this gutter that's potentially about to come down. There's a second announcement, and that is, if you're part of the Easter Ensemble, Wesley's asked that you gather immediately after this service in the fellowship hall. Is that right? Did I get it right? Great. Okay. Very good. Well, turn with me in your Bible again to Exodus chapter 11. I'm thankful for Pastor Scott and his reading of the word. You know that how this scene is played out with children, if you have children or grandchildren. Just one more. Just one more, one more cookie, one more game of horse, one more video, one more dad, just throw me one more pitch. Just one more time, one more time down the slide at the water park. How often we've heard these words from our children. Is it ever enough? There's this insatiable hunger for more, I think, in the human spirit. Just like one more cookie, right? One more chocolate chip. One more potato chip. But Yahweh does hear. He says, finally, just one more. Just one more stroke. One more plague. And it's absolutely and utterly terrifying. If you'll note, if you're taking notes, you read the words in Psalm 78, verses 49 through 51. I think this will come alive to you. you make a note of that to see what this was like for the people of Egypt as God comes to execute judgment. And it's the hardness of the human heart that creates this need for yet one more plague. And it brings us to our main point in our big idea this morning. Here it is. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the Passover lamb. He is our Passover lamb. In fact, that's how Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 identifies the Son of God. 
And it's true that if you and I are not covered ultimately with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are not safe in the ark that is Jesus, we must assume that we are subject to a terrifying end. Just last night we were speaking of the book, a recent book by, I think it's Dane Ortland, something to the effect of gentle and some something. Maybe someone can help me with the title. Gentle and lowly. And there is no doubt that the Lord Jesus is gentle. For at the end of Matthew 11, he says with open arms, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But make no doubt that God doesn't play. We've talked about this. He's good. Right? He's good like Aslan, but he's not safe. But he's our Passover lamb who delivers us from the wrath of God, Romans 5, 9. Where Paul says that more even than the peace that we have, having been justified by faith, he says more than that, he's the one who delivers us from the wrath of God. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, speaking of the Son, he delivers us from the wrath to come. So this morning, behold the Passover lamb. And as Yahweh passed through Egypt, passed through Egypt, but passed over the people of Israel, that passing over was only because of the blood. It was only because of this propitiatory, wrath-removing blood of the Paschal Lamb that the destroyer left the people of Israel safe in their homes. Now, real quickly, when we use the word propitiatory, we simply mean taking away, removing God's anger. And it's there in Psalm 78. You look it up in 49 through 51. Make no doubt. This was not going around the country of Egypt the, like this, the way children go around in a circle and what's duck, 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 goose. No, this isn't like just passing over the houses of the Israelites. He came in bloody, family-destroying, agonizing judgment upon Israel. And there was a single life-saving, Christ-picturing solution. And that was the blood of every family slain lamb dripping off the lintel and dripping down the doorposts at the entry to the place in which they lived, the houses of the children of Israel. Now, I want us to take these 60 verses, and I want to give you a simple outline. And I intentionally made this outline where each line is three words. So here it is. You can even write this down. Verses 1 through 10, the chapter, chapter 11, I call one more plague. Those 10 verses, one more plague. And then the first 20 verses of chapter 2, pattern for you. Pattern for you. Chapter 12, 1 through 20. 
And then the third point in from verses 21 through 28 is simply this. Get your lamb. Get your lamb. And then 29 through 32, that awful night. And then finally the fifth section, verses 33 through 42 out of Egypt. So number one, one more plague. Number, that's one through ten, that's all of 11, chapter 11. And then the first 20 verses of chapter 12, pattern for you. Then 21 through 28, get your lamb. 29 through 32, that awful night. And then 33 through 42, get out of Egypt. Now, as we've learned in previous weeks, one way to translate this word plague is stroke or smiting, nagaf. Stroke or smiting. And it was the plague that necessitated this final, this tenth, or this tenth plague that necessitated the Passover. Actually, I'm saying that in a way I don't want to say. Let me correct that. It was a final plague because Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. The servants of Pharaoh's was still hardened that necessitated the Passover. And the target was greater than Pharaoh. You'll notice this. He says, I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. The entire land, the entire nation, every family was included. Why were those nine plagues, the first nine, insufficient? Don't make the mistake of, th- of thinking that God failed to get the result he was looking for. Because his purpose, as he stated it in chapter 9 and verse 16, was to display his power in such a way that his great name would be proclaimed in all the earth. And we've noted that God could have done this. God was lengthening out this process. He was displaying his great power. This was his purpose from the beginning, that his name over against all the gods of Egypt would be proclaimed as great. That's the truth there in 916. But there is now then just a final plague. And maybe some of the kids can even remember all the plagues. Who remembers the first plague? What was it? Who knows? What's that? That's right. So the Nile is turned to what? Blood. And then there's frogs, gnats, flies, and then all the livestock die. And then last week we saw boils upon man and beast, hail that destroyed, that killed everything that was exposed to it, hail like they had never seen before. And then finally there was locusts, And then darkness for three days. A darkness that we read in chapter 10 and verse 21. That was darkness, a darkness 
to be felt. But what was in Israel at that time? What was, Israel, what was among the people of Israel in the land of Goshen, though there was darkness elsewhere in Egypt? There was light. There was light. It's amazing, right? It says in chapter 10 and verse 23, they did not see one another, speaking of the Egyptians, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. But there's nine plagues, nine strokes, if you will, of God's judgment, and yet a tenth remains. And it would bring great anguish upon the entire nation of Egypt from the greatest to the least, from man to beast, from the palace to the lowest and the lowliest slave girl. But Israel would be untouched. Israel would be untouched. You see this. Even as you see the favor, you can anticipate that, the favor that God, as Yahweh, gave the people in the sight of the Egyptians, verse 3. And that Moses was great in the land of Egypt, even in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, in the sight of his own people. And so in this first point, in this first point of our sermon, what I want us to see is one more plague. That The word here is very simple. The message that Moses is to give in the hearing of the people. Here it is. Be bold. Ask your neighbors... For silver and gold, all right? It reminded me, the other day I was at Food Lion, and this little boy came up to me with a card. Could you please give me money? And he said, he said what country is from, what language he spoke, even though he was speaking to me in English. But he wanted money. And I began to try to talk with him, and I said, I don't have any money on me. And he isn't, and his mom just took off. They turned immediately, and were not interested in talking to me anymore. But look what, the, look what Moses, the message is here. Ask every man, every woman of your neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And God grants us, we'll see this happen. This fulfills what was, what was prophesied, what was promised in Genesis in chapter 15. And then the Lord says in verse 4, he gives this message. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do this. I will go out. I'm going to be on this journey, this journey of judgment, executing judgment. And there's going to be this great distinction. Whereas the firstborn of every household in Egypt, the firstborn of the beast will die, he says, you won't even hear the growl of a dog. Not only will they not die in Israel, but you won't even hear a growl in contrast of a dog, in contrast to the great cry throughout the land of Egypt. And the result is that they're going to beg you to get out. They're going to say, get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And you understand, if you look at the end of verse 8, and it says, and he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger, that you discover there that what's taking place from verse 4 to verse 9 is that Moses and probably Aaron have an audience with Pharaoh. 
And the word is there's going to be one final effective plague, one stroke that's going to cause Pharaoh to let God's people go as they've been asking for days on end. And we read in verse 10 that they, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders. I think that could be a summary statement referring to the first nine plagues, maybe including here the 10th. But here it is. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people go. Now that's like then the prologue immediately to what's going to happen. But first, before we see this take place, there's our second point is this pattern. And Yahweh speaks. He speaks plainly. Here it is. He's saying to the people of Israel, your life's getting an adjustment. Your annual calendar is going to be reworked. It would be like us saying from this point forward, this is the new month for us. And with this new month, on the 10th day, you're going to do this. On the 14th day, you're going to do this. And that's going to last to the 21st day. Imagine all of a sudden, if we agreed, we announced, and we had the divine word, that April 10th began a new month for us. And from here, from this point forward, that new month's repeated. You'd be like, that's crazy. But that's virtually what they're hearing. This is now the first month. That's the word that they hear. That's the word right there that the Lord said to Moses and Aaron right there in the land of Egypt. The 10th until the 14th will be particularly set aside. On the 10th, you will take from your flock a single one-year lamb, a male lamb, the firstborn, the very first to open the womb, one per family, unless your little family so small, then you get in cahoots, if you will, with the family next door. You work it out. But the point is, it's going to be a one-year-old male lamb without defect. And then you're going to keep that with you from the 10th day until the 14th. Now, at twilight, at dusk, if you will, on that 14th day, so 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, on that 14th day, Slaughter the lamb or a goat, that's even allowed, you can see that, or from the goats, the end of verse 5. Slaughter that animal, do it as a community. And I want you to notice that. When the whole assembly, verse 5, of the congregation shall kill their lambs at twilight. It's not an individual ritual here. Just like when you pay it forward, we don't all have communion in our houses at the exact same moment. We gather and we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a family, as those who've been united to Christ and therefore are united to one another. And he says, take some of that blood with a hyssop branch. And this is about how I paint. It's pretty sloppy. I think I would have been well suited for this work. Dip that hyssop branch in the basin and swab that on those doorposts and on the lintel, which is just the header of the entrance to your home. Now take your roasted lamb. Take all of it and eat it. Eat it with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. Whatever is left, throw it out. 
in the morning, but eat it in readiness. Like, if you will, this is a little bit like going through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A. Like, you be ready. Like, be ready when your order's there. Like, there's a sense of readiness because what the Lord is anticipating is he's going to act that night. This is the Lord's Passover. And so that lamb there, that roast lamb, we call the Paschal lamb from Passach for Passover. We add that A-L for just the Hebrew preposition over. So Paschal is like five letters. You can put that. We spell it P-A-S-C-H-A-L. But it's the idea of the Lord passing over. And whether it's the meal itself or the lamb or the ritual, this is the Lord's Passover. And Yahweh's making a distinction here. He's going to pass through and strike. He's going to literally plague everything and everyone in the land of Egypt among the people of Egypt with death. With death. And everyone left in the houses of Israel from infant in arms to the old man that needs help getting dressed in the morning is going to live, is safe, is spared. Now why this unleavened bread? The unleavened bread is a symbolic element of the feast of the unleavened bread, which would then last for seven days from the 14th until the 21st day of the month. Now, real quick application. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 that Christ, our Passover lamb, has come. You may, as a teaching moment for your children, you can have a Passover meal in your home. But there's no continual obligation for people to do that. Christian, Jew, it doesn't matter. Because the fulfillment of what this represented has come. He's come. And that's why the sermon title is so simple. Behold, look. That's that idea of look. Eyes up. Behold. The Passover lamb. And he's not the lamb in the sense of those lambs killed that night on the 14th night of that first month. It's the prologue to the 10th plague. He's come. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, here's this gospel I received. And he says, which I delivered to you. And what does he say? Christ did what? He died. He's died for our sins, what? According to the scriptures. And so when we think of the Passover lamb, we don't think so much of that ritual that was established that day by Moses and Aaron with the people of Israel, but its ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. One is the reality, the other is the sign that points to the reality. Make sure you don't confuse those two. And so the unleavened bread then is a symbolic element of this seven-day feast from the 14th until the 21st day of the month. And the, pe- the feast 
The feast was the reminder. It was this emboldened reminder of what Yahweh had done in bringing the people out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt. And he says, Everyone needs to eat. He said, that alone may be prepared for you in verse 16. He says, you observe this feast to remind yourself of the day that I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And we talk about one of the most important words as we think of the Old Testament is the idea of remembering of what God has done. Having a long, long memory. And you'll notice then, he's saying, you better be making unleavened bread. Get rid of the leaven. No day, for those seven days, 14th to the 21st, no days, no leaven in your houses. So you must have Christ. So here it is. What you must have is that blood of the sacrificial lamb plastered on the doorpost and on the lintel of your door. What, what you must have is the Passover lamb roasted and that you're eating it together with bitter herbs and, oven le- and unleavened bread. But what you must not have is you must prohibit leaven in your houses. And we'll understand later, as we'll see at the end of our time in 1 Corinthians 5, that that leaven represents sin in our former manner of life. That, that Christ now is our Passover. He is our Passover lamb. And as we'll see, he's been sacrificed already. And we're to celebrate, to celebrate that festival, the festival of unleavened bread. We're to do, or that feast. We're not to do that with leaven, which goes with our former manner of life, but with this leaven with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Well, then he says in verses 21 through 28, if we can look at that briefly, basically he says, go get your lamb and kill it. He speaks of, as you read there, of the Passover lamb in verse 21. First, he speaks of, it is the Lord's Passover, verse 11. Now he speaks of the Passover lamb. And we know from the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so we see in this ritual, we see in this rite, the significance that the Lord's sacrifice must die. And the blood of the lamb is, of the, of the sacrifice is everything. It's a reason that Peter will say sometime later that we were redeemed, not, were, not with perishable things, but with the imperishable things like the blood of our Savior, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, when you do this, verse 23, here it is, the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses 
to strike you. And so then when you look at the last few verses, that the last verse of our exposition this morning, verse 42, where he says, It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. What's going on when you think of God, if you can think of God seeing if you can think of God looking, if you can think of God watching, he saw, the destroyer sees there the blood on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses of the children of Israel. And instead of passing through and destroying, he passes over and shows mercy. And so here it is. And you think about communion that we'll celebrate next Sunday morning on Easter morning. That's a ordinance forever until the Lord Jesus Christ. It's for the church until he, his, until he returns. And so it says, and when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. You shall keep this ritual. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this? What is the point of killing this lamb and taking a branch and dipping it in the blood and and smearing that all over the door, and, and then taking that lamb, and we're all roasting it, not boiling it, getting rid of the innards. We're roasting it and with, with bitter herbs, and, and now instead of that, that leavened bread that we all really love, we're only going to have unleavened bread. What's the point of that? He says, you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. He's memorializing this. He says, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. And look at the response. What's the response at the end of verse 27? It says, and the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. When they understood the significance, the meaning of the Lord's Passover, and that God had ordained this ritual to be kept, that they might teach their children and their children's children and their children's children's children. It was a simple response. There's so much theology in one sentence. And the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. And when I ask you this morning as a point of application, how are you doing with your AQ. And you say, what do you mean by AQ? I mean your awe quotient. Are you in danger of losing your awe and saying to yourself when you wake up in the morning, no matter how low your bank account is, no matter how bad your back, you're struggling with chronic stuff, you had an argument with your wife the night before and you need to get it resolved, your children aren't obeying as you wish, but you're able to say to yourself, oh God, as I think of the cross this morning, what great things you have done for me. I understand why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the starting place of the gospel is that he would say that what I received I'm delivering to you. And so here's the first bullet point of good news. Christ 
died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's good news. Guys, we got to learn how to preach that to ourselves. That's like your goal. If you walk out of here this morning at 1210 and you don't have like the main point of this sermon is that you're beholding the Passover lamb is you were telling yourself that God was incredibly rich in grace to you to send his son that you might be forgiven of your sin and that you, if you're a mom and dad, you have that cookie. You got the good news. You have what's best of all. Some of you struggle because you're thinking, I can't afford braces for my kid. How will I ever pay for their education? We don't go on the coolest vacations. How will I afford their education? You give them Christ. Because that will never be taken away from them, mom and dad. And when you wake up tomorrow on April 11th, the first thing you give yourself in the morning is you tell yourself, Okay, all day today, behold the Passover lamb. There's a fourth point, and that's in verses 29 through 32. I want us to see this briefly. And that's the plague itself. And you see all those that got up, caught up in the wake of Pharaoh's hard hardness. His hard-heartedness. So that the firstborn of the captive in the dungeon, to the firstborn of Pharaoh in the palace, even to the firstborn of the livestock, the Lord struck them down. And I think, again, you turn to, you turn to Psalm 78 and 49 through 51. In fact, I'll read it. I'm going to read it for us. You get a sense of how awful this was. He let loose on them his burning anger. Wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstborns of their strength in the tents of Ham. If your hearts are not moved, even this in this last week, to see a man weeping at Bukha. Butchu, however you say it, in Ukraine, thinking, believing that his brother's in a mass grave, but he doesn't know where he is. The thought, that's my brother in there and I can't find him. Tears streaming down his face. This is a scene. These are more than words on a page. God was giving us a picture. He was anticipating his Christ. It's like this huge arrow sign in Exodus 12 that says... Behold the lamb, he's coming, he's coming. And the result was on that awful night that they're like, guys, get out of here. They summoned Moses and Aaron. They said, up, go out from among my people, you and the people of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you've said. So finally, uncle, they waved the white flag. Take your flocks, your herds. And as you've said, be gone, bless me also. And they took everything, they took gold and silver. They were enriched if you will, for the journey. They had all this unleavened, the dough of the unleavened bread. And so it brings us to our final point, this fifth point, out of Egypt. And you can just imagine this scene. There's weeping and wailing as the firstborn of the Egyptians' households, 
from the slave in the dungeon to Pharaoh's palace have been struck down. And they're like, look, just go. If you don't go, we'll all be dead. And you read there in verse 34, they took their dough, didn't even have time to bake it. You can imagine they had wrapped in their clothes, kneading bowls with, with this dough in there. And look at the obedience of the, of the people of Israel. Don't miss this. What was distinctive about the Israelites and the Egyptians was not only God's grace and favor and rescue of the Israelites against the judgment of the Egyptians, but what's also distinctive is the obedience of his people here. You think you're wondering, am I a Christian? Well, here's the simple criteria. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I command. That's it. You love him, you do what he commands. And that doesn't mean perfectly, but it means you care about that. You don't have a pattern of disobeying his word. And you see here, I want you to imagine, this is probably 2 million people, 600,000 men, besides women and children, and they go. They go on foot. All this livestock, flocks, herds, bakes, on the, on the way, they're baking unleavened cakes of dough as they bring them out of Egypt, probably last few minutes in the oven, and then they're gone. I say oven, of course, you know what I mean. In their oven, the oven of that day. And there, he says they were thrust out of Egypt in fulfillment again of promise. They said they could not wait. The Egyptians could not wait to get them out. Even though they had not prepared any provisions for themselves except they had this unleavened death. And then now there's the kind of the epilogue. The words as we think of this whole nation. Imagine two million people. Imagine that's 40% of the population of South Carolina. Imagine this morning you drive down and you get on I-26 going to Columbia. And you just see a miles-long procession of goats and sheep and camels and donkeys and people. And they've got, they've got like rucksacks on their back. And, and you know a lot of it's just full of unleavened dough. That's, that's the picture and on that very day of 430 years, again in fulfillment of, of Genesis 15, and the day that God made covenant with the people of Israel, they left. And he says in verse 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. You may connect this to three things as you think of behold the Passover lamb. And number one is that the night that the Lord's Supper was instituted, as you read that, you will understand that the occasion was the Passover. The occasion was the Passover. And that's why it makes sense that Paul says in 1 Corinthians Five and verse 7, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Why do we cleanse out the old leaven? Why do we wake up every morning thinking 
How can I put to death the sin that is still dwelling in me? Why do I wake up with the mindset of a warrior, whether I'm 12 years of age and a Christian, or I'm 85? The reason I'm willing to put to death to get rid of that leaven is because Christ, our our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And to celebrate him and to celebrate this festival well, to live as those who have been definitively sanctified, have been made holy, and who every day are being more and more conformed to this image of the Son of God, the Passover lamb, looks like to get rid of the leaven and to celebrate the festival with this unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So not only is there the record of communion, not only is there Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. But it's instructive if you realize that in in Hebrews 11 and verse 28, the writer says that by faith Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Would you receive Christ, the Passover lamb? That way is by faith. It's the first day of your Christian life. Must be in the arena of faith. And the 10,000th day of our Christian life must be there. We never graduate beyond the need for faith, for trust in the promises of God that are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. What does this look like? Stricken, smitten, and afflicted. See him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ by man rejected. Yes, my soul. Tis he, tis he. Tis the long-expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord, by his son, God, now has spoken. Tis the true and faithful word. Tell me, you who hear him groaning, was there ever grief like his friends through fear his cause disowning? Sorry, Nick. Foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save. But the deepest stroke, stroke that's like plague, the deepest plague that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. Here we have a firm foundation. Here the refuge of the lost, Christ the rock of our salvation is the name of which we boast. 
Lamb of God for sinners wounded. Sacrifice to cancel guilt. None shall ever be confounded who on him their hope have built. Behold the Passover Lamb who delivers us from the wrath of God, from the wrath to come. Behold him. Come to him, worship him, embrace him, bow down before him, prize him, savor him whom John exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, this is not old news. This is not the death of a meaningless, tragic figure. This is the lamb slain before the foundations of the world who is, who was, and who is to come. Behold him, yes, stricken, yes, smitten, yes, afflicted, but behold him in all his life-giving glory. 